Welcome to the I Am In podcast. We are excited to announce that this summer, 2022, we will be recording our weekly summer speaker each Wednesday night at the Boise Institute. We will hear messages from various individuals sharing their life story in front of a live audience of young adults. Each speaker will share key times that God manifest Himself and prevailed in their life. It's the reason they continue to say, I am in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I am Michelle Burke, the host of the I Am In podcast and an instructor at the Boise Nampa Institute of Religion. John Gagnon was born in St. Paul, Minnesota. He earned a degree from a St. Louis broadcast school, Brigham Young University, and a graduate degree in public administration from Boise State University. Brother and Sister Gagnon are the parents of seven children. Brother Gagnon loves doing family history, gardening, and fishing. He is the director of the Adapted Needs Program at the Boise Nampa Institute. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for the introduction. It's good to be with you. Um, I, I, knew, I knew if I chose that song, I think it was Elizabeth asked me, what song do you want to sing for today? And, and immediately came to my mind this song, Oh What Songs of the Heart. It happens to be one of my favorite songs. In fact, you're going to hear some references to family history throughout. It has become one of my passions uh, in the last several years of my life. I don't know if you caught the words to this song, Oh What Songs of the Heart we shall sing o'er and o'er, when again we assemble at home. Then it talks about when we're going to see our ancestors and how much joy that's going to bring to us. And then it ends with the final, our heavenly parents, when we meet our heavenly parents. I can't even begin to imagine what that's going to be like to not only see our ancestors, whom we love and who have passed on a lot of things to us, but to meet our heavenly parents. It's just going to be a moment I, I can't even imagine. And I testify to you that that day is coming for each one of us. We belong to heavenly parents. And I am so grateful to know that. Of all the knowledge that we know as part of the restoration of the gospel, perhaps the most important is that we belong to a heavenly father and a heavenly mother. And so I stand with you as a witness to the world that we are uh, born of heavenly parentage. And we get to meet mother in heaven as well. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> Think about your own mothers and the, the women in your life that are just marvelous. And then kind of multiply that by, you know, a million <laughs> or whatever. And that's heavenly mother. That's going to be awesome to meet her. So... Um, I'm just, I'm just going to share some things with you, but uh, some stories. We've been invited to share some stories of when we've seen the Lord's hand in our lives, when we have tried to uh, exercise our faith and to let Him prevail in our lives. So I've got four or five or six different experiences I want to share with you. I've got some sides of my family. I can show that to you afterwards. Perhaps I got a great, come from a great family and I love them and and, uh, and grateful for them. One thing I will say just off the, stop, uh, the, the beginning of this too is you're going to hear me share some experiences and you've heard other teachers share experiences, but I hope that you'll come away with an assurance today that it's not just us or whoever you want to put in that category that has experiences where we have felt the Lord's presence or the Lord's hand in our lives, 
but that you will come away today with a greater assurance that you are loved by your Father in heaven, that he, he's, he's using you as part of his plan to fulfill his purposes and so that you can find the maximum joy in life. I hope that somehow something I'll, maybe you won't, you won't connect with something I'll say in, a, in my story. You're like, well, that's kind of cool for you, but I don't know about for me. But I hope at least something will say, oh, I remember something like that in my life. And as you think about that, that will cause you to trust and be, and be assured that Heavenly Father is in your life and He's using you and He loves you. So I hope that that comes out. My, my first experience is what said I was born in Minnesota. And if I was to show you a slide, I was going to show a slide of... Uh, of me in my earlier days of, uh, I was a broadcast journalist in uh, Duluth, Minnesota. I went through the BYU journalism program and um, after my mission in Salt Lake. And so, so the picture I was gonna show is just a picture of me in a trench coat with some glasses, safety glasses on, and I'm crouched down with a mic. And it says KDLH TV on there, and I'm doing a story at a mine pit in Northern Minnesota. Northeastern Minnesota is known as the Iron Range. And that's where a lot of the ore for World War II, planes and tanks and ships and stuff like that came from, is that region called the Iron Range. And so I wanted to start with that slide a little bit just to show you that uh, that kind of has, it relates to one of the experiences where I felt the hand of the Lord in my life. So I'll come back to that in a minute. So I was born in Minnesota and um, born to an unwed mother. My mother grew up in a very difficult home life some alcoholism and some other things that went on and she was abused and anyway, so she ended up uh, uh, with somebody else, uh, a man who I just met three years ago, my biological father. <laughs> uh, but uh, anyway, so she, the first great experience where the, I felt the Lord's hand in my life is before I even knew about the Lord when I was a child. My mother um, uh, needed to find a job and so here we were in, uh, Northern Minnesota, that Iron Range area, that's where she's from. And so she decided to go down to Minneapolis about two, 200 miles away to get a job. And she'd allow, and, and so they had to make a decision. What are they gonna do with the child? And that's me. And uh, my grandmother was by her side and she said, you know what, I think we should keep him and I'll raise him for a couple of years while you work. And uh, so off I went to Northern Minnesota, back to the Iron Range and uh, was raised there by my grandmother, whom I deeply love, and you can imagine why. Every year since I was about eight years old, I went up to the farm and spent a lot of time with her helping on the farm because of, because of my appreciation and my love for her in helping raise me for the first couple of years of my life. My mother was in Minneapolis, and uh, just a little story there of why, why it's so important that she made the decision to keep me, because two full-time missionaries came by in Minneapolis, knocked on their door, and there were five girls living in an apartment. And so they knocked and there was initially they were like enamored by the idea, oh, a couple of handsome young men, we're gonna invite them in and we'll party and have a good time, not knowing that they're there for church business. But anyway, so they came in, they taught them all the gospel and every single one of them joined the church. And today, I even asked my mother this a month ago, I says, mom, how many of those, those sisters that you were with in Minneapolis are still active in the church? Every single one of them is active in the church. Now, they've all kind of been through, some of them through divorces and challenges and difficulties, but they're still active in the church to this day. Anyway, my mom joins the church, and eventually, uh, while she's working in Minneapolis, a, a, a man came up to her and just simply looked at her, first time he'd ever seen her, and he said to her, he says, Lady, I know you don't know who I am, but I am going to marry you someday. The very first thing he said to her. 
She says, well, how's that possible? You don't even know me. And maybe it was a good pickup line, because then he said, well, I guess we have to date if we're going to do that. So <laughs> with that came the first date, and that led to multiple dates. And before you know it, they got married. And uh, so he then learned of, well, then at some point learned that there was a, a boy up in northern Minnesota. And my dad said, let's go see him. And he came up and uh, took a look and <laughs> he decided he'd adopt me. And so, and uh, he did. And so I ended up uh, becoming adopted. And I have to tell you a little bit to just back up a little bit. My father, my adopted father, his father was adopted. And uh, he was an orphan in, and again, family history. I told you I'd be getting into family history a little bit here, and I apologize, but that's my love. And so if I do that in and out, you'll know why. I hope it's something that maybe will help with you too. But so in New York, uh, his mother, my grandmother's mother, was like 17 when she had a child, unwed mother. She went to a Catholic orphanage in New York City, and there she gave up the baby. And then the babies in those orphanages, ever, call, ever heard of the orphan trains, what they call orphan trains? You know what those things are? They're, they're buses or trains that would go across the United States with babies, and they would stop in different locations to meet the people that were there to adopt them. And so um, Lawrence, my grandpa Lawrence, came across, and he ended up in Minneapolis. And the Gagnon family came to pick him up. And that's how we got the Gagnon name. So I'm not only adopted, but the name is adopted from <laughs> a family in Minneapolis that picked him up. Uh, interesting story, but I'm going to get, oh boy, you get me on family, I'm going to go, <laughs> I'm going to lose my t track of time here. But anyway, uh, just, just real short, I'll try to squeeze this in there. So I, I'm at the Family History Library a couple years ago at Roots Tech. Have you heard of Roots Tech? Be involved in that, it's free. I mean, it's, it's amazing. So I went down to Roots Tech and my family got me a, got me a pass to go there. It cost 100 bucks for a night, for a day at Roots Tech. So I get there, I go to the Family History Library and I says, hey, I want to find this lady that's the mother of my grandmother. We know her name. It's on a little birth certificate. And it just mentions her name, where she's from, and how old she was. I need to find her. And so sure enough, after about an hour, those people there, they tracked her down. She married two more times and multiple children in multiple marriages. And I'm thinking, this is amazing. So I'm already excited. I get back home and I'm thinking, I've heard that you can go to Facebook and look up people's names. And I looked up the names of one of the ladies. Guess where she was living? Weezer, Idaho. <laughs> so my wife or myself, my, my, my wife and I, went to Weezer, Idaho, and knocked on the door of this lady. And again, she doesn't know me, she doesn't know why we're there, and the salesman, who knows what she's thinking. But we knocked on the door, and nobody came to the door, but I could tell she was upstairs in her apartment. And then I knocked on the door next to the lady next to me, and she says, oh yeah, she's a recluse. You'll never get a chance to talk to her. I'm like, oh no, of all people, how come? And then, uh, so I says, well, okay. And so we knocked, and then we left, and I tried to, I got her phone number, we tried to text her. Two years later, I'm in Minneapolis at a family reunion. I get a text from her. And she says, oh, I'm sorry. I, I don't like to talk to people very much and this and that. And, and then I'm like, whoa, cool. So I start texting her and trying to call her and nothing. Nothing for an entire, ghosting me. You know what I mean? I don't know if they call it family history ghosting. I don't know if it's the same term, but, but that's the way I felt. And so, so we're like, what are we going to do? 
And I tried and tried and tried. And finally, my dad came into town. He lives in Cedar City. My parents live in Cedar City now. Came into town. He says, let's go see her. Let's see if we can do it. I says, okay. So we went up there. My, my mom and dad and Mary and I again went and knocked on the door. <laughs> Nobody there. Knocked on the neighbor's door. And the neighbor says, I'll tell you what. She's out for a walk. When she comes back, I'll, get, I'll tell you when she's here. And I'll call you. Let's go to a restaurant in town and I'll call you. So she came... Uh, Anyway, we got a phone call in the middle of the restaurant while we're having breakfast. And, and then, uh, yeah, she's here, and she said she'll meet with you. So we went and had a wonderful visit for about two hours. My dad and her are the same connection, just in a different... But anyway, they talked and talked, and we just, my, Mary and I just sat back going, wow. <laughs> it was so cool that they made a little connection. Anyway, I, got, I need to stop there because that's family history. But I, I want to say one more thing about the tie related to family history. I can't stop, but... Um, you may be wondering why I'm wearing the tie. Fourth of July, right? But it also represents family history for me. My name is the name of my grandfather, another grandfather on my mother's side, who had my mother in 1941, 42, and then he went back to a battle you'll know. It's called the Battle of the Bulge, which was a very bloody, bloody battle, and he never came back home. And so my grandmother, when she said, hey, we need to keep him, let's name him after my departed husband. And so I have his name. And I have a cousin that lives in northern Minnesota. His name is also John. He's named after the same person. In fact, I'm going to be there in four weeks. And he is a serious, he's, he has dual citizenship in Slovenia, because we're Slovenian, Slovenian background, Finnish, and other things. But, so he has dual citizenship. So... Um, uh, in Sylvania and the United States. <laughs> He's a U.S. citizen. So he has a lot of family history work, and we're going to sit down and have a great uh, experience here in about four weeks. But anyway, that's, that's just my first experience, though, just about my mom. Appreciate her just choosing to, to uh, adopt me, or my dad choosing to adopt me, my mom choosing to keep me. My second experience, I'm going to fast forward probably about uh, nine years. Let me go forward about nine years. Um... Let's see, let's go nine years, and I've got three different experiences, and I'll, I'll call them, I, I've named them. One I'm going to call the happiest Minnesota Vikings Super Bowl loser of all times. And I think Jim knows this story, but in Minneapolis, you can't live in Minneapolis and not be a Minnesota Vikings fan. And so my dad was a Minnesota Vikings fan, and eventually we ended up moving to St. Louis. And so they had lost already three Super Bowls, and so now we've been watching every Sunday. My dad and I would, would watch the Super Bowl. And, uh, and, and we, we got, moved down to St. Louis. And then we're watching the Minnesota Vikings again implode during Super Bowl, Super Bowl number four that they're losing. And I told my dad, I made a very important decision. I says, Dad, I can no longer watch football with you on Sunday. I just said that to him. It just tore me up inside to see my team lose from year after year after year. And I, I said, you know what? And so what I chose to do, I went down to my bedroom. It was, a, it was, a, it was a, just a basement, and it, didn't, it wasn't, the walls weren't quite up on it yet. We were just kind of in the process of fixing that up. But, so I was down there, and I decided that I would make it a habit of regular prayer and regular scripture study instead of watching the football games. Not, not that it's watching football games is necessarily wrong on Sunday, but, but the idea for me, it became a turning point, and I'll explain why and how that was so important for my, what, what would, would occur later. 
So, so that was a defining moment for me is to study the scriptures and to make prayer a regular thing. Second one I call, oh, how praying rests the weary, prayer will change the night today. In about my eighth grade, seventh grade year, I just moved from Minnesota, so now I'm in St. Louis, and it's the late of my seventh grade year, and uh, things were fine there. We get to my eighth grade year, and my friends that I had were in my neighborhood, now we're starting to do things that were not appropriate for Latter-day Saints to be doing. And for a couple of years, I followed them. But because I had been regularly praying and studying the scriptures, I, I, I would repent often or try to and say, Heavenly Father, I know I'm not supposed to be doing these things. And then I'd go back out and do it again with my friends. And I'd come back, Heavenly Father, please forgive me. And I would cry. It was just a very, I mean, I was going through this for about two years. And, and, and that, and it, anyway, long story short, one day in one of those prayers, as I was contemplating, I think we're going into ninth grade now, and I knew, I, I just, I was, as I was praying, a feeling came to my heart that I'd never had before that gave me the courage. I knew that morning was the morning that I was going to go down to the bus stop and I was going to say to them, and it was almost like scripted, I can no longer run with you guys anymore. That was a powerful feeling in my heart because it's just so hard. If you know me a little bit, and Jim knows me pretty good, it's, it's, hard. it's harder for me to detangle from things. I can get pulled into things kind of easily. So, so I was pretty entangled. It was hard to get rid of that. And uh, so I walked down to the bus stop that day, and, and I told my friends, I says, I can no longer run with you. I can't be with you anymore. I'm sorry. And then I just sat back as they got on the bus. As I walked on the bus that day, a young lady in the back of the bus said, John, come and sit by me. Now, I didn't know this girl. I didn't know her. I didn't know who she was. But that morning, you see how the Lord, <laughs> he knew the decision that he had helped me make that morning. And then he gave me a friend. She later became my girlfriend. <laughs> we spent a lot of time together. And became a really, she was a really good girl. She was a Pentecostal preacher's daughter. Just so happens. And here I am a member of the Church of Jesus Christ. And so I went to her church on occasion, and she came to my church. And that was an interesting experience. <laughs> but uh, anyway, long story short, um, uh, she helped me get back on the covenant path. Not that I'd ever left the covenant path. I always went to church. I loved church. I had a testimony of the gospel of Jesus Christ, no question. But I just was having a hard time pulling away from these friends. So with the help of the Lord and the help of good friends. Now, I didn't have any other friends in, that's my, you know, ninth grade year. I mean, it, had, it was because I had these other friends, right? So I didn't have any other friends. And I'm getting away from these other friends. But I found a lot of friends and people that were disabled. I mean, there were people that were, you know, picked on at school. And, uh, and so those were easy friends to make. And it just was, it was wonderful. Some of the best friends I ever had in high school were students who were picked on. And I had wonderful, just it was a great relationship with them. And it was wonderful. So again, the Lord provided for Brother Gagnon to have friends in high school, which is really critical, as you know. So, okay, number three, third experience. The witness of the Spirit at 5.15 a.m. or simply church education matters. So in Missouri... Uh, in our uh, seminary, the probably was about 25 minutes from the house. It was in the bishop's basement. 
and it was early morning seminary program. And, and I, was a, I was a pretty much of a, a cut-up kind of a guy. I mean, you get my colleagues are probably like, what? You're pretty serious, John. What's up? But I, was, I, I, I tried to make the class laugh every single day. I was like a menace to the seminary program. I really was. But I'm so grateful that one day, because I was going on a regular basis, I mean, it went every day, but because I went one day, again, one of those experiences you don't have very often, and I can just count on a handful of times where I came to know for myself that Joseph Smith was a prophet of God in a very powerful way. In the middle of me cutting up, and all of a sudden I chose to listen, and the Spirit came, and here I was, remember, I'm the class clown, and I began to cry. And I'm going like this, you know what I mean? Like, what, what's going on here? I've never had an experience like that. It was so profound. Not that everybody has to have that kind of an experience, but for me, that's what happened. And so I remember I cried all the way home from seminary that morning. And I, I came to know for myself that Joseph Smith was a prophet of God. No questions asked. And with that came every other decision that I made from that point on. I can trace that back, really, to that moment that I came to know that Joseph Smith was a prophet. I don't even think I was praying to know that Joseph Smith was a prophet. That's a wise thing to do. But I don't know if I was really actively praying about that, but it came to my heart and it made a huge difference. And so I can testify to you that I absolutely know that Joseph Smith's a prophet of God. I'm grateful for him and bear witness that he is God's appointed servant in these latter days to restore important priesthood keys that bind families for time all eternity and, and do so many things to help prepare us for exaltation. So that was, a, that, was an, that was an experience that really made a difference for me. Um, so, what time we got here? Just cut me off if we need to jump out of here. So 1979, he graduated from high school, and from 1980 to 82, served a mission in Salt Lake City, has been, mission, has been mentioned. It would take multiple presentations to state all the neat experiences that happened on a mission that were powerful as well. But I'm not going to go into that. I think President Nelson covered it all when he said, serve a mission, right? You need to do that. It's a great thing. Fast forward 10 years to 1991, when had two other life-changing and defining moments. I was, we just got an internet, we just got a computer. We're living in Nampa, Idaho, uh, married, my wife, children, lots of things have happened. We've got a computer and I'm online, I'm looking at, um, looking on the internet. It was kind of a new experience in 1991. And so, I'm, and all of a sudden these pop-ups kept coming up. And one of the pop-ups was the swimsuit edition of the Sports Illustrated magazine. And I had got Sports Illustrated when I was a teenager. That was something that I regularly looked at as a teenager. But when that came up, it was like, it's like I had to make a decision as, as, as people, as we all do, right? When you see something or you experience something, you have to make a decision. One of my life-defining decisions came I believe, on that day for me when I turned the computer off and I said, no way am I going to do that. That has been a tremendous blessing to me personally and to my family not to be, and I've been a, a bishop before, uh, we've all, Edward, you know, and pornography is, a, is an issue in, in, in the church. We're not immune to that just because we're members of the church, but we've seen the addictive effects 
of pornography and know how terrible that is and how difficult that is and how much uh, the Lord's tender mercy is uh, wants to wrap himself around those individuals to help them get out of that. But I was so grateful for that. But the experience that happened moments after I hit that, that delete button um, felt, and I hope I'm not sharing something too personal. You always wonder if you share, you gotta be careful about sharing too, too personal stories, but, but I'll just share this because I've already gone down this road a little bit. But anyway, uh, just felt to me very real, like someone, like a father, had put his arms around me. And as if to say, way to go, way to go. That was a defining moment for me, to feel the love of God for me. Uh, when I had made that decision, I'd made it before, but now it was being tested. And anyway, I, I, I just, boy, and I know there may be some in the audience, maybe there's some that are, that are struggling with pornography, and, and if that's your case, just know that the Lord loves you and wants to put his arms around you to help you out of that addiction. Um, anyway, that was one of the experiences that was life-changing. Uh, uh, let's see. Oh, yeah. Oh, how much time we have left? I haven't looked at what. We're about close to, close to time here. <laughs> it's a podcast. They're all going, hey, what's going on? Ten minutes. Okay, okay. Um, let's see. Yeah, also in 1991, in fact, probably within weeks of that experience I was telling you about with the Internet, my wife Mary and I had been looking for a home to move into, and we found a home in Meridian. And we went there, we found the home, we liked it, we were starting to make progress on trying to check on the house and do all that you do to get into a home. And then we got back and I got a phone call from the stake president who said, John, I'd like to meet with you. And I'm like, uh-oh, what, what's going on here? And so we met with uh, President Rowe at the time and President Rowe, uh, he says, well, uh, we've got a new stake we've put together, we've got a new stake over there and, and wards have been shuffled. And so now your bishop is no longer your bishop. You have a new bishop, and he would like you to serve as a counselor to the bishop, to be the bishop, or to, to, to the bishop. And I said, well, who is this? And I didn't even recognize his name, didn't know who he was. Um, and uh, so that was my first, ex well, my, I would have been, a, been a, a counselor before, but just shortly because we had a daughter that passed away, but I'm not gonna go into that story. But anyway, um, so here I was as a, as a, a, a new member of a, of a bishopric. And in one of my defining moments was this. Um, while we were, um, as a member of the bishopric, you do temple recommend interviews. And some of you have been, a, well, probably many of you have been a part of temple recommend interviews. A bishopric member will sit you down, you talk to him, he goes through the questions. Well, for some reason, I think it's because I was kind of struggling with my career at the time in seminaries and institutes, uh, kind of was having some tough years that were kind of, beating up on my self-confidence a little bit. And anyway, uh, I, I told the bishop, I went to the bishop, I said, Bishop, I can't do this anymore. Every time I, I visit with people about temple recommends, I feel just like, what am I doing? I can't do this. And so, and he asked me a profound question. And here was his question. He says, John, he says, how often do you attend the temple? And I said, well, I, I go once a month. And then he extended a promise that key holders 
only key holders can do this with, with, the, with the importance and the impact. And he said, you, you start to take a look at your temple attendance and I promise you that those feelings that you have will go away. And so I began the process of attending more regularly. And Brother Edwards may remember in some of our faculty meetings, I, would sh I think I've shared some things about, those, about that time. And I'll tell you what, I, it's hard to even describe what happened to Brother Gagnon. But when I go to the temple, and, and I began to feel, really feel the Lord's love for me. I mean, in a very real way. It was so powerful. And pretty soon those feelings of, of lack of self-confidence or whatever you call it, um, th those really, really, really subsided. And I found much more joy in living and my, my family experienced great more joy and I experienced more joy. And it's all because of the love of God that you can experience in going to the temple that I felt in a very personal way. So I love going to the temple and I testify that if that is one of your concerns about your wondering who you are and where you fit and all of that, I just didn't make that same invitation to you. Try it. See if it works for you. It worked for me to go to the temple on a regular basis. In fact, President Nelson even has said that multiple times, right? As often as you can, as often as is, is, is appropriate for your schedule and so forth. Go to the temple and see if you don't experience that same kind of a connection with the Lord. It will bless you infinitely and will guide your path in life. So I just testify that that's true. Um, well, 2005, spring of 2005, been a counselor for a while and, and been going to Boise State University, graduated with a master's degree, and it's now 2000, 2000, excuse me, 2000. And I'm in a stake, I'm in a meeting with the stake, where it was a stake priesthood leadership meeting. And I just went up to the stake presidency afterwards and I says, hey, I said, but you guys did a great job. I always love when you guys give talks and so forth. And they said, well, John, what's going on in your life right now? I said, well, I just graduated with my master's degree. It's been crazy. I've been working on it for like six and a half years, one class at a time and driving my family crazy and me crazy and trying to get through that. I'm just not a very good student. But anyway, so, and, and, they, and, and, and I said, I said, now I'm looking forward to a little relaxation. And then there was this awkward pause. <laughs> and I, I just kind of walked away like this, and I got in my car, and I was heading to the Meridian Seminary that day. I had to get something done, uh, just to get something ready for the next day or something. I called Mary, and I says, dear, I've had the weirdest experience. I think I'm going to be called to be the next bishop of, this, of the ward. And then between that phone call and the Meridian Seminary, I'd chosen my two counselors. Now, fast forward next week. I'm sitting there as a counselor, and the bishop gets up, and he's speaking, and I get this great feeling that it's not going to happen. <laughs> and so I was thrilled. And I told Mary afterwards, Mary, it's not going to, not that it's a bad thing to be a bishop. But, but I was just, you know, really, I was going, we need some time. I'd been very involved in school and so forth. And I says, dear, it's not going to happen. I don't know what that feeling was, but it's not going to happen. Well, the following Sunday, when I'm in the bishop's office, a call came to that bishop and said, is Brother Gagnon there? Would you send him down to the, to the stake offices? 
And then, and, and I've never, Jim, Brother Edwards won't understand this experience. So I'm there, and I'm not, I, I still am quite not sure. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm completely convinced it's not going to happen. So I'm like, oh, they're going to release me because the new bishop's being released and somebody else is going to be called. And so he starts asking me these questions I have never been asked. Have you ever paid for an abortion? Have you ever done this? I mean, questions I've never, I, I stopped him in the middle. I says, I says, I, I, I'm sorry, did I do something wrong? <laughs> did somebody tell you that I did something wrong? He says, no, 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 no problem. Just hold tight, hold tight. Still not knowing what this was all about and really kind of worried a little bit. So then he invites me back into the office and there's the whole stake. This is the other members of the stake presidency and there's my wife looking like white as a ghost. She had some kind of an idea what was going to happen. And then they extended the call at that point. And, uh, and of course, I, I said yes. And I said, he said, well, you have a couple of, couple of days or a couple of weeks, you know, choose your counselors. I said, well, President, I've already got my counselors. <laughs> chosen and, and he said well go think about it anyway I told him who it was and he said well think about it pray about it some more and see what you got and anyway that became a, a really a life-defining moment for me because there's something that happens I don't know I don't know what it is it's the love of God that you feel it feels like, how would you describe this present Edwards I mean the idea of you feel like you're a conduit for God's love to everyone that you see in the ward or that especially that comes into the office and lays their burdens down. That's just a powerful feeling of love. So if you're one that's like, oh, I need to see my bishop, but I don't know if I want to, I don't know if I want to see him because that's a little embarrassing and this and that. I'll tell you, we're, two of us here can testify that you will feel love. You'll feel the love of God if you go in there, and not because of the bishops really, you know, any great people or anything necessarily but it's because of the mantle of the bishop and what comes with that and the love that you feel for each one of the people in your ward. So if that's you, feel comfortable, give him a call. He's gonna, he's gonna really appreciate you. You're gonna get to know him a little bit better too as you have that experience with him. Anyway, that was a defining moment for, for me as well. Well, uh, one more I didn't say, do we have two minutes left yet? Let me back up to that picture that I was gonna show you. I'm at the mine, you know, remember I was at the mine, I'm, I'm doing this KDLH TV news reporting thing. After about three years of working for the newsroom, we're not making a lot of money. We're actually cleaning health spas at night. My wife, Mary's expecting our second child, no, first, first child, and we're cleaning health spas at night and she's expecting, and I'm working during the day and then at night, and, and my, I don't have a starter in my car. We're jumping Duluth kind of on a hill, and it was just craziness. I'm like, what are we doing? So I got an opportunity to go up to northern Minnesota, Duluth's about, you know, about an hour and a half from, northern, from extreme northern Minnesota. Got a chance to go up there to be a reporter, and they'd give me a truck, a camera, and I would be the guy. And then they would send my stories to Duluth. And, and so they did all that, and I says, dear, this is a good time to go finish your last class at BYU. She took our children, we had two by then, took them to... Utah, finishing up her last class while I was up in northern Minnesota. Well, I get up there after about two weeks. I'm living with my grandmother, talking to senators on the phone. My grandmother, hello. You know, nothing disrespectful to her. But it was kind of weird, right? The reporter with grandma answering the phone, you know. It was weird. Anyway, so after about two weeks, they said, ah, we've changed our mind. We're not going to open up a news bureau in northern Minnesota. Said, so you can come back to Duluth, move all your stuff. And I says, and so I had a decision to make, a defining moment in my life. I made a list. 
of 10 things in my bedroom of my grandmother's house that I thought I could do. And when I got to number 10, I wrote down seminaries and institutes. And again, I had one of those experiences that you don't have, often have in life. I began to cry for some reason. I still, I don't even understand now. I've been teaching for 30 years and I still don't understand why, why would you want me? But anyway, it was very clear. So I made a phone call. It seems like my wife's been a very, very, very important part of this. I gave her a call, says, dear, stay there. I don't know how it's gonna work, but I'm coming and we're gonna get into seminaries and institutes. I know nothing about it really, but we're gonna do this. Well, the same people that loaded me up in Duluth <laughs> had to load me up again. And they gave me $200 in my hand and a full cooler of food. I'd gotten to know those people. Every year I'd gone up there since I was eight, became part of their branch. I was like part of the, part of the family branch up there. And uh, but when I got to Salt Lake and went down to Provo and met with the people down there thinking they were just gonna hire me, I had no idea. I was really naive. <laughs> but anyway, long story short, ended up in Idaho and uh, after some some other miracles occurred. We were hired, and that was about 30 years ago. And so grateful for the experiences I've had in being with seminaries and institutes, and it's really to do with you. And I think Brother Edwards would say the same thing. Our joy comes from seeing you, and seeing you make progress, and your joy, and the changes you make in your life. That's what really matters. And that's what makes a difference and brings us joy as seminary and institute teachers. And, uh, Anyway, I, I just hope there's been something here, and again, maybe something's been jogged in your memory, something you remember about your experiences, where you can see that the Lord was directing you. I hope that that message has come out for you. He certainly does, and will continue to do that for every one of you. I testify that this is the Lord's work. We're a part of His work. We're gathering Israel in these latter days, and what a blessing and a privilege it is to be a part of that. President Nelson is the Lord's mouthpiece on the earth today. The Book of Mormon. Oh, that's a whole nother presentation. <laughs> the power of the Book of Mormon. Don't go a day without it every single day. Try this. Open the Book of Mormon and see and start reading for 30 seconds and see if you don't feel differently as you read the Book of Mormon, even in the first 30 seconds. That's, that's just, it's just it's amazing. That book has a powerful witness of Jesus Christ. I testify the Savior lives. I love him. We will see him again, and hopefully with extended arms for each one of us, uh, embracing us, welcoming us home, back to live with him again with our families. And I bear witness of these truths in the name of Jesus Christ, amen.